Good news, you guys. We got a camera, and I got a tripod, and I got a box light. So that means Ooh. videos. Yeah. We're recording at Ashley's place today. So sorry if it sounds a little different. We've got like 10-foot ceilings. Yes, yes. Uh, crime in the coconut. This yep, is, you know. We're here. Uh. <laughs> we're just some old ass ladies mm -hmm. today, guys. Sorry if my breath smells. I had chips and salsa. Right. Like this will be the third February's episode, but we recorded the fourth weeks before this. Oh yeah. So sorry if next week seems a little weird. Yeah. So there might be some like discrepancies, and it might seem like we're shifting tone because this episode is vastly different than next week's episode oh yeah next week is Edgeen. totally different spectrum and this one i mean they're both really heavy and really gruesome but this one yes. is a totally different tone and topic i'm covering emmett till i'm okay. not gonna try to sidestep too much because then i'm just gonna start repeating myself yeah because i am very passionate about this story amanda was texting me as she was researching this and she was heated yeah so it's gonna be a heated topic today if you don't know who emmett till is um this is a rough one i chose this topic in light of black history month and the case this is like one of the cases i've obsessed over since i first learned of it when i was in middle school i remember us watching a like i think it was a movie or like a documentary on this and my mind was blown yeah blown i was like what the hell this actually happened this is real i don't look forward to when Haley has to learn about these things it's oh. important for her to learn but i don't i mean she learned about when martin luther king day came up they they taught them about segregation and jim crow and jim crow laws and she was like black and white people had to use different watering fountains and she said what yeah she could not understand it at all hey my niece is, is mixed and she, I mean, she knows the difference, obviously, but she is starting to learn the realities of it. And I, I don't look forward to it because I know it's going to be very confusing for it'll her. And I've never had to live it. So it's going to be hard for me to teach it to her properly. Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be a culture shock for sure. But it is important. I also went back on our Instagram and noticed how we lack to cover stories involving people of color. Mm -hmm. uh, that could mean we need to be more inclusive with the stories we tell, and usually the ones involving people of color or the LGBTQ plus groups involve the most injustice, which was the whole reason we started this podcast. Right. But I'll also point out that some of the most infamous of killers have all been white, and maybe that says something in itself. Uh, yep, for sure. <laughs> this is about a young black boy who was lynched in Mississippi of 1955. I encourage listeners to stick around as this case was an early catalyst of the civil rights movement and race flags for brutality of Jim Crow segregation laws. This is a picture of him. Handsome boy. Yes. Wow. Yes, he's a good Look looking. Look at that kid. hat. Oh, and he he a lie. He dressed like oh. super fashionable too. Yeah. He, he ahead really of his time was such. Like I'm gonna, I dive into the kind of person he was, mm -hmm. and really just a well-rounded kid. Yeah, uh, my oh. heart, I'm already upset about it. I'm also gonna show you pictures of what his body looked like afterwards. I had a feeling that was coming. Like I'm like getting choked up even talking about it. Like I remember seeing these pictures the first time I heard the story, and I was like crying. Well, I've already cried once on this podcast. What's another time? <laughs> it's fine. I like that we're kind of a comedy. True yes, crime podcast, but we take it seriously. But sometimes I do like cover yeah. topics like this. Yeah. Emmett was born July 25th of 1941. He would be 80 years old this year. He would still be here. He would be most alive. Most likely. 
Yeah. yeah. People think segregation was like a long time ago when it wasn't. No. That's what I said about Martin Luther King to my dad the other day. I said, he would probably still be alive today. And my dad's like, no, probably not. I said, Betty White's still alive. How do you know? Emmett Till's mom died in 2003. Oh, Jesus. He'd still be. This is a gentle reminder that segregation was very recent and still has a death grip on the idealism reflected in our society today. I, <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time I had to go through and cut out so much of my ranting, <laughs> I'd have a lot of nickels. I'd have a lot of nickels. And I'm like biting my tongue because yeah. I just want to go off. I know. But at the same time, we shouldn't have to, you know, people should absolutely be aware of this. And if you're not, and if this sort of thing upsets you to listen to because you feel it doesn't need to be talked about because it quote unquote happened so long ago and it's not relevant, you're in the wrong place. Absolutely the wrong place. We've talked about murders way older than this one and nobody had a problem with it before. I, I feel like we definitely give off that. We've talked about even our first, what was our first episode? Club Kids? Mm, that no, was one of them. It was, was the, the Cleveland Torso murders. Yeah, the yeah. Club Kids was second. But even the Cleveland Torso murders mm -hmm. and the Club Kids starting as our first episodes. If you've been listening since then, then you know what we're about. Yep. And if you don't agree with that, then it's okay. Sorry. Go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Emmett's mother. I had a hard time figuring out what Emmett Till's mom's name was. Do you know? Please let it. Did you figure it out? I. This. One was um, Mammy Carthen, but I've also seen like Mammy. There's a couple other names and mm -hmm. then Till. So I'm just hmm. going to say Mammy Till. Okay. It's, uh, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but I think the wiki changed her name a few times because she was married twice, I believe. Oh, okay. So we're not sure what's the maiden name. and. But anyways, Emmett's mother was from Mississippi and moved to Illinois during a period called the Great Migration or the Black Migration that occurred between 1916 and 1970, a movement of 6 million African Americans out of rural southern states to more or urban northern states. God. I think I just had a stroke. That's okay. <laughs> a movement of six... <laughs> a movement of six million African Americans out of rural southern states to more urban northern states. Mississippi was the poorest state in the U.S. in the mid-1900s. Economic opportunities in the South were nearly non-existent, and Jim Crow laws varied from state to state. Emmett's mother described him as a good kid who helped with chores at home. He was happy and often played pranks on his cousins. And it was usually the center of attention among his peers and was a neat dresser with a witty attitude. He also had a little bit of a stutter due to contracting polio at six. And at 14 years old, Emmett weighed 150 pounds and stood at five foot four inches. So he was like a perfect kid. Yeah. <laughs> Emmett was born in Chicago. Okay. And his mom lived in Mississippi. Okay. So she came up north to ensure that her kid didn't experience the way black people were treated in the South. Right. In 1955, Emmett's great uncle, how do you say that? M-O-S-E? Mose? Mose. Mo like Jose? You think so? It looks like it's spelled the same. Mose. I always wrote it as Mose. Well, I'll just say Uncle Wright to right. avoid me saying the wrong thing for a whole hour. <laughs> in 1955, Emmett's great uncle Wright visited him and his mother in Chicago and told Emmett stories of life in the South. Emmett decided he wanted to see it for himself. His mother planned to take Emmett on a trip to Nebraska to see relatives, but he pleaded with her to allow him to visit his Uncle Wright instead. Wright was a sharecropper and part-time minister who also went by Preacher. Like, that was his name. People called him Preacher. Oh, that's cool. He lived in Money, Mississippi. That only Money, Mississippi. I know. Ain't that cool? Wow. Uh, <laughs> that only consisted of a few hundred people in three stores. So this was the bum fuck. 
BFE. What is what do you say BFE? Like what is your bum fuck Egypt? See, I just talked to I think my cousin about that or somebody, and they were like BFE, and I said, wait, no, isn't it BFN? And I was like, what does E stand for? And she goes, everyone always says Egypt. Yeah, I've always said Egypt. I've always said bum fuck nowhere. Oh well, you know, I only learned BFE from. I actually didn't know that was a thing until oh. she said it to me. So blame her. She taught me. I'm surprised I I didn't learn that from her too, because I spent a lot of my childhood with her. Yeah, she. Her we were parking somewhere in a parking lot. She was like, got to park in BFE, and I'm like, what the fuck is BFE? <laughs> I miss her sometimes. I hope she listens to this. I don't, do you think we would know if she did? Do you think she would um, have subtweeted about it? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Before Emmett departed for Mississippi, his mother warned him about the racism in the South and assured him that Chicago and Mississippi were two very different worlds and that he needed to be mindful of how he conducted himself in front of whites in the South. Someone as fabulous as him. Yeah, would really upset them. During these times, the South was very public and open about how much they despised and prohibited interracial relationships as a means to maintain their white supremacy. The KKK was also very active. And uh, the Knight Riders, their segregation laws were specifically designed to create a humanity barrier and deprive black people of social equality. Tensions heightened after the Brown versus Board court ruling to end segregation in public schools. Many segregationists pushed back on this ruling because they believed it would ultimately lead to interracial dating and marriage. One Virginia county even closed its schools to prevent integration and others just ignored that things were supposed to change. And nobody was forcing that at the time. Like sure it was approved that it wasn't going to be segregated anymore but nobody was really forcing you to stop segregation. No yeah and honestly I I'm not saying I'm speaking for black people but if I were a person of color and they were like hey you can go into school with white people now and I knew they didn't want me there. I oh yeah I'm sh- I don't know if I would want to go. What kind of bravery does that take? I'm I'm glad things like that happened when they did and I'm thankful for the people that sacrificed what they did. I'm thankful I wasn't raised in a racist household because oh, yeah. I don't I don't know if it's appropriate for me to say, but I love black people. Like, oh yeah. I love them and I like I wish I had more friends that were Oh yeah. People of color alone. I wish that um I used to work the, the department I used to work in, I had two women that sat next to me. Well, eventually I had a third one who sat behind me and they were both black women and I kid you not because I worked there during some of the hardest times of my life when I was with my previous relationship, when my sister died, when I started my art career. Those women were the most supportive and nurturing women I have ever been around in my whole life. Black women are the strongest people I've ever met. I've ever met. And I wish I could be like that. I I know. They're the strength that they had in everything that they did. They, They were confident all the time, even if they didn't feel like it. They didn't let anybody disrespect them. Uh, I was like, wow, how did, where did it come from? What, how did, and it has to be just because their ancestors and everyone yeah. that came before them it's had always, no choice but to do that. It's always been there. Yeah, yes. it's always been there. And that's remarkable to me. Now, to get further in personal growth, I, I need to force myself to build confidence and grow that way. But I didn't have to do it to survive. Yeah. That's how they've had to survive. Yes. And that's amazing. It irritates me. I'm going to give myself an inch here. Don't let me take a mile. Okay. It irritates me when people today, especially people who are old enough to know that segregation wasn't that long ago. Oh, yeah. Or even witnessed it, are going to tell me that that racism doesn't exist anymore. Or that segregation doesn't exist anymore. Just because it looks different doesn't mean Gerrymandering is the reason why black people typically live in poor communities. That's why they don't receive better insurance. That's why they don't have better schools. It or they, they, that's why they don't get the same jobs or better jobs uh, that, yes. we, that we get. And they're still having 
to work harder than anybody else to cross that threshold. And then even when they do cross that threshold, there's no respect for them when they get yes, there. They're in a white dominated community and that people have a perception of them already just because of their skin color. They ignore all the work they put into, oh. oh. I would respect who I know respects other people, respects all life, will treat people you know, at face value, just the same as they would anybody else. They feel that when you say something like this, you're saying that black people need to be held higher than everyone else because of what they went through. And that's not what, that's not what's being asked. They're asking to be treated with the respect they deserve because they're earning the same marks as everyone else, or even better. Yeah. And you should be respected accordingly. One is a human being and then increased in value based on what you do. Yes. And that should not be diminished in any way simply because you are black. I'm really trying not to do like a whole white savior thing. You guys don't need us. Like you I don't need us. We know like, that. I'm not here to justify how much I support black people. Like that's not a thing that I'm doing to make myself feel better. It is our job to use our, what's the word I'm looking for? Our privilege. privilege. It's our job to use our privilege to help people who don't have it. Yeah. Whether you're black or, uh, I, I mean, this goes, if you want to take away color for a minute, if you're a man and you see a woman struggling in a way that only a woman can struggle, yeah. you as a man have something she does not that will allow her to be protected and safe. You can help her. Yeah. Being kind is the easiest thing in the world to do. Yes. It's your natural state. Just be kind. The bad things that happen to you in life, the propaganda you're fed, the things you learn over time, the things you experience is what makes you angry, is what makes you hateful. You are not born that way. You are born kind. It is the human condition to care for other human beings. Sometimes people give me shit for being so nice. Why? And well, I'm like, like, I get that too. Why are you? Why do you let people walk all over you? And and that's the other thing that pisses me off is that especially people I work with, they're always like, "Oh, you just let people walk all over you. You're too nice. You do too much." I'm like, "No, I do that because I want to." And maybe if you emulated that, it wouldn't seem like I was being walked I, on. Yes, I do that because I want to. And if you're walking on me, then that's your bad, and I'm not gonna let you do that. But then when you stand up for yourself, like how black people stand up for themselves as they absolutely and then should, so, yes. they're angry, they're violent, when really they're just demanding to be treated the way they've been treating other people. Yeah. Oh, God. All right. Let's continue. Sorry. Let's so continue. boxes are away for the rest of the episode, we promise. <laughs> and I know exactly where I stopped. Uh, before Emmett departed for Mississippi, oh no, that's wrong. <laughs> she was so confident. I wish you could have seen her sassy little, I know exactly where I was, and she sure didn't. No. Um, tensions heightened after the Brown versus Board court ruling. Wait, did I reread that too? Yes. Yeah, because then we got way off topic. Yes. About... Uh huh. Okay. One week before Emmett was meant to arrive in Mississippi, a black civil rights activist named Lamar Smith, who was an organizer for black voter registration, pretty harmless, right? Oh, yeah. He was shot in broad daylight at close range in front of the Lincoln County Courthouse for political organizing. Ugh. Three suspects were arrested, but they were soon released. And yes, they were white assholes. This was one week before Emmett was supposed to get there. I'm, so, I'm sorry. If I get real quiet, it's not that I don't have a reaction to it. It's that in all the time that I have learned about black history, I truly, it's the same with hearing stories about serial killers. I actually cannot get my brain to, to even comprehend a thought or understand or empathize with anything that would ever lead you to believe that, that someone was, deserves that. Right. I, I'm... It's beyond me. I don't understand it. 
And that is why we do shows like this and why I like to listen to other people's shows like this because if we don't listen to this, we might just forget that it's real. Yeah, exactly. And this and these are only the stories that are documented. I can't imagine the horrendous, awful things that happened in the middle of fucking fields in the south or out west that no one will ever know about, bodies that they will never find. Yeah, yes. Suffering that will never be known. Because you're poor, because you're black, because you're a woman, because you are not poster child of America. It breaks my heart to think that little Emmett Till was so excited to go and visit his uncle in the south and was not aware of these things. Like He didn't, and he wanted he didn't to... understand the shit show he was walking into. Now we're going to get into the details of Emmett's lynching. I also wanted to define the word lynch that I took from dictionary.com. It's a verb to mean put to death by mob action and without legal authority. Most of these actions occurred between 1876 and 1930, but you bet your ass they're still happening before and after those years. Yep. I'm also going to point out that there are only witness reports of what happened between Emmett and Carolyn Bryant, but I personally do not believe Emmett's cousins would lie about what they saw. Three days after Emmett's arrival, he and his cousin Curtis did not go to church, the one his uncle preached at, and instead decided to hang out by the grocery store with some friends. This market was marketed towards the sharecropper population and was owned by a white couple named Roy and Carolyn Bryant. They were a young couple too, they are 24 and 21. Okay. The only people in the store were Carolyn at the counter and her sister-in-law in the back watching the children. At the time, his cousin Curtis said that Emmett had a picture of his integrated class back in Chicago. He pointed to one of the girls and told the others that it was his girlfriend, and she was white. Then one of the boys dared Emmett to talk to Carolyn. His other cousin, Simon, was also present and gave his personal account in 2009. He said Emmett did not have a picture and no one dared him to talk to Carolyn. He claims that no one interviewed him and that the white people made up a picture in the dare. Some other versions of the incident claim that Emmett may have wolf whistled at her. That's that two-toned whistle, including the story Curtis tells. So the whistle ha is in a couple accounts. Mm -hmm. He said that he thought Emmett was trying to get a laugh out of the boys because he was always joking around like that. Then he goes on to say after the whistle, the group became visibly alarmed and ran away. And then this is a quote. We had never heard anything like that. A black boy whistling at a white woman in Mississippi? No. They and his cousins knew what that would bring. Yeah. But yes. he didn't. No. After Emmett's kidnapping, a newspaper stated that sometimes Emmett would whistle to restart his stutter. His mother also said that Emmett had a hard time pronouncing B sounds and taught him to whistle softly to himself before pronouncing words. B sounds. What was her last name? Bryant. What if he was trying to say hello, Miss Bryant? Yeah, just hello, Miss Bryant. Knowing that he's from Chicago, I, I guarantee that you can talk to white women a lot different. Oh. And so he, was a he liked to prank his cousins. Yeah. He was very vivacious. So he's probably just talking like how he normally talks. Exactly. After Simon and Emmett left the store, Carolyn walked outside. Some accounts claim that this was when Emmett actually whistled, but it's convoluted on if he was whistling at Carolyn or the checkers game being played by his friends across the street. And that's totally plausible, too. They're yeah. probably walking out, and he's like, oh, hey, friends, and whistled at him. The wow. story goes on to say Carolyn went to her car to retrieve a pistol from under the seat of her car. When the boys noticed this, they ran inside, and an older man urged the boys to leave quickly. I also don't know how factual that part of the story was, because um, there's a couple counts in the story where Carolyn, she actually didn't tell her husband, because she knew he was just a 15-year-old boy. So mm -hmm. I, it seems a little ridiculous that she would be going to her car to get a pistol. Yeah. But, you know, I this is just from the Wikipedia. Yeah, and unless we were there, it's hard to know. 
The story spreads like wildfire, and there's two very different sides being told. Uh, Carolyn tells all of her friends. Emmett tells all of his friends. Carolyn told the FBI she didn't want to tell her husband because she feared he would be up Emmett. Roy Bryant wasn't to come home until the 27th due to a fishing trip, so that's like a couple days later. So her, Lots of time for so, rumors to be made. Yes. Her telling the FBI, I didn't want to tell my husband because I was afraid he was going to beat him up, is what makes me think that she probably wasn't going to get a pistol. No. Because if she was going to get a pistol, she would have made her husband come home from the fishing trip. Yeah. You know, she wouldn't have been like, I didn't want to tell him. I would like to think that Carolyn knew deep down... It wasn't that, harmful. ...that shit was going to hit the fan and... He was just a young boy. Mm -hmm. But in front of a court, in front of a bunch of people, her testimony was extreme, which makes me unable to forgive her, regardless if she later said she lied about it or not. You have a choice to stand up against any injustice, and it is most of the time not the easy choice, but it is the one that you should make. And if you don't, that speaks more about you than anybody else pushing you to do the wrong thing. I go, I dive into that a little more, but this is where I have to go to the Wikipedia because I typed a couple things and then I didn't type a couple things. My cousin is on this Stardew Valley kick right now and I'm really busy like all the time. Is this Gavin? No, Morgan. Oh, okay. And she's, she's always texting me, do you want to play? And I'm like, I, I'm really busy. I'm sorry. If I had... The, Morgan, we're currently recording the podcast. That's why she can't play with you. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I had a couple hours in the day to just sit and play a game, I would love to do that. Roy Bryant was told about what happened, because how could you not? Everybody's talking. Somebody, if it's not his wife, it's going to be whoever she told. Yeah. Somebody's telling him. He aggressively questioned several young black men who, ant who entered the store. Um, that evening, Bryant and this guy named J.W. Washington approached this random kid walking on the road. He was a black boy. Kidnapped him. Oh, God. First of all, that's that's a crime in and of itself, just in case anyone was wondering. Uh, took him to be identified by a companion of Carolyn's who have witnessed the episode with Till. Friends or parents vouched for the boy in Bryant's store, and Carolyn's companion denied that the boy they picked up was Emmett. So they were like, this is not the kid. Somehow Roy found out that the boy in the store was from Chicago and was staying with his uncle Wright. Several witnesses overheard Roy talking about taking Till from this house. Between 2 o'clock a.m. and 3.30 a.m. on August 28th, Roy drove to Uncle Wright's house. They were armed with a pistol and a flashlight. He asked Wright if he had three boys in the house from Chicago. Till was sharing a bed with another cousin. There were eight people in the small two-bedroom cabin. The guy he was with asked Wright to take him to, quote, the N-word that did the talking. Also, a personal a personal thing about me, if you're going to say slurs, you either say all of them or none of them. And uh -huh. I don't say any of them. Right. I don't say the F-word. I don't say the N-word. I don't say anything. I cuss, yes, but those aren't slurs. No. Uh, I try to stop. I try to be polite around, like, children. Well, yeah, I try I tried to do that, and then you have a child of your own, and it's... Yeah. <laughs> different. Emmett's great aunt offered the men money, but they refused or rushed Emmett to put on his clothes. Uncle Wright informed the men that Emmett was from up north and didn't know any better. The guy that Roy was with asked um, Uncle Wright, how old are you, preacher? He said 64. And then he said he threatened that if Wright told anybody, he wouldn't live to see 65. They forced Emmett out to the truck. Wright said he heard them ask someone in the car if this was the boy and heard someone say yes. So maybe that was Carolyn or something. Or one of the friends. Yeah, or one of the friends. 
Later in an interview, Roy Bryant and the guy he was with said that they would have brought Emmett to the store in order to have Carolyn identify him, but they didn't do so because Emmett admitted to being the one that talked to her. Okay, are you ready for this? Nope, but go ahead. And when you think that it's it can't get worse, it gets worse. Oh. They tied up Till in the back of the green pickup truck and drove towards Money, Mississippi. They drove to a barn and they pistol whipped him on the way and reportedly knocked him unconscious. A witness said they saw a truck passing by and recalled seeing two white men in the front seat and two black males in the back. Some have speculated that the two black men worked for uh, Millum is the other guy that Roy was with. Mm -hmm. So they were reported to work for Millum and were forced to help with the beating, um, although they later denied to being present. The witness, Willie Reed, said that while walking home, he heard the beating and crying from the barn. He told a neighbor, and they both walked up the back road to a water well near the barn where they approached Millum. Millum asked if they heard anything. The witness said no. Others passed by the shed and heard yelling. A local neighbor also spotted back of the barn, washing blood off the truck, and noticed Till's boot. Millen explained that he had killed a deer and that boot belonged to him. Some have claimed that Emmett was shot and tossed over a bridge, but the group drove back to Roy's home in Money, where they reportedly burned Emmett's clothes. In an interview in 1956, Roy and Millen decided that they had intended to beat Till and throw him off an embankment into the river to frighten him. They said while they were baiting Emmett, Emmett called them bastards and declared he was just as good as they and said that he had sexual encounters with white women. So that did not make the situation any better. No. But good on him for sticking to his guns and in a moment of fear... And that you were better than them. Yeah. In a moment of fear saying, I'm just like you. I'm good enough. They put Emmett in the back of their truck and drove to a cotton gin to take a 70-pound fan. This was the only time that they had admitted to being worried, thinking that this was too early in the daylight and people would see, see them stealing this fan. They drove for several mire, miles along the river looking for a place to dispose of Till. They shot him by the river and weighed his body down with the fan. Uncle Wright stayed on his front porch for 20 minutes waiting for Till's return. He did not go back to bed. They then drove around trying to look for Emmett. Unsuccessful, they returned home by around like 8 a.m. His uncle Wright did not call the police because he feared for his life. And probably the rest of the lives that were in that cabin. I mean, it, yeah. you know. Distraught, he called Emmett's mother, Wright, and his wife, Elizabeth, drove to Sumner where Elizabeth's brother contacted the sheriff. When Bryant and Millam were, or when Roy, Roy Bryant, so I'm like reading this off the Wikipedia, so I use like they some. They do professional reporting. Yeah. Like last I, name only. I like using first names. Honestly, call him by his first name. He doesn't deserve to be respected. I also have a quote from Millam, who was a racist bastard, like really wanted this boy to die a harmful death. When they were both questioned by the sheriff, they admitted that they had taken Emmett from his great uncle's yard, but claimed they had released him the same night in front of Bryant's store. They were arrested for kidnapping. Word got out that Till was missing. When word got out that, that Emmett was missing, State Field Secretary for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, head of the Bolivar County chapter, became uh, involved. They disguised themselves as cotton pickers and went into the cotton fields in search of any information that might help find Emmett. How poetic is that? Yes. Three days after his abduction and murder, Emmett's swollen and disfigured body was found by two boys who were fishing in the Tallahatchie River. His head was very badly mutilated and had been shot above the right ear. An eye was dislodged from the socket. There was evidence that he had been beaten on the back and the hips, and his body 
weighed down with a fan blade, which was fastened around his neck with barbed wire. Oh my god. He was nude, but wearing a silver ring with the initials LT and May 25th, 43 carved in it. His face was unrecognizable due to trauma and having been submerged in water for three days. Uncle Wright was called to the river to identify Till. Oh, the silver ring that Till was wearing was removed and returned to his uncle, but passed to the district attorney as evidence. LT was his dad's initials. The year he died was 1943. Emmett's death attracted national attention, obviously. His murder aroused feelings about segregation law enforcement and relations between the North and the South, the social status quo in Mississippi, the activities of the NAACP and the White Citizens Councils, and the Cold War, all of which were played out in drama staged in newspapers all over the U.S. and abroad. Emmett's body was clothed, packed in lime, and placed into a pine coffin and prepared for burial. It may have been involved while in Mississippi, but Emmett's mother demanded that the body be sent to Chicago. She later said that she worked to halt an immediate burial in Mississippi and called several local and state authorities in Illinois and Mississippi to make sure her son was returned to Chicago. A doctor did not examine till post-mortem. So they wanted to bury him immediately, and she said because no. they wanted to take away from the, hor the horrificness of it. They didn't want more people to see it. His mother also demanded to have an open casket funeral, saying, quote, there was just no way I could describe what was in that box, no way, and I just wanted the world to see. Good for her. Tens of thousands of people lined the street outside the mortuary to view Till's body, and days later, thousands more attended his funeral at Robert's Temple Church of God in Christ. Photographs of his mutilated corpse circulated around the country. I hope these, I hope you tell me these assholes got what was coming to them. I know it probably didn't happen, but... That's all I want to hear. Bryant and Millam were indicted for murder. The state's prosecuting attorney, Hamilton Caldwell, was not confident that he could get a conviction in case of white violence against a black male accused of insulting a white woman. That's just... Now, I'm going to go back to my drive for a sec. Someone murders someone. Let's forget why for a second. And you think you can't get a murder conviction because of what the victim did? People kill people in self-defense and spend years behind bars because of it. I'm going to go into Carolyn's testimony <sighs> for okay. a sec. Carolyn testified that Emmett grabbed her hand while she was stocking and said, how about a date, baby? Then goes on to say that once she freed herself from his grasp, he followed her to the cash register, grabbed her waist, and said, what's the matter, baby? You needn't be afraid of me. I've been with white women before. This next part um, matches multiple witnesses. His cousin then came into the store and grabbed Emmett by the arm and then they left. Simon also, Simon's his other cousin, also says Emmett was only alone inside with Carolyn for less than a minute before he went in, made him pay for his items, and then left. He said he saw no inappropriate behavior and heard no Lutris conversation. Carolyn later in life admitted to lying about her testimony and her defense attorneys later recollected her original version of the encounter that included Till touching her hand and asking for a date. Emmett's uncle Wright says that his kidnappers only mentioned remarks made at the store. So when they showed up looking for Emmett, they were like, where's that boy that talked to my wife? They didn't say anything about touching. It's speculated that the more extreme accusations were made up as a legal strategy. Mm -hmm. The trial was held in September 1955 and lasted for five days. The courtroom was filled to capacity with 280 spectators. Black attendees sat in segregated sections, and it was very hot. The defense sought to cast doubt on the identity of the body pulled from the river, saying that it couldn't positively be identified, and they questioned whether it was Emmett at all. That was disputed. In November 1955, a grand jury declined to indict Bryant and Millam for kidnapping, despite their own admissions of having taken Emmett, Uncle Wright, and a young man named Willie Reed, who testified seeing Millam enter the shed from which screams and blows were heard. 
both testified in front of the grand jury after the trial. TRM Howard paid the cost of relocating to Chicago for White Reed and another black witness who testified against Millam and Bryant in order to be protected, you know, witness protection yeah. program or whatever. Reed, who later changed his name to Willie Lewis to avoid being found, continued to live in Chicago area until his death on July 18th, 2013. Jesus. He avoided publicity and even kept his story secret from his wife until she was told by a relative. Reed began to speak publicly about the case in a PBS documentary, The Murder of Emmett Till, aired in 2003. Show you his body now. And then what what happened to the other, what happened to the guy, the husband, Bryant? No one ever did time for Emmett Till's murder. I knew you were going to say that to me, but I was just really hopeful. But he died in 1994 of cancer. I hope it was fucking painful. And I hope he lived nothing but a shitty ass hell on earth life. Oh, I also wanted to read that excerpt of um, what Millam said. Horrible things happen to your body when it's left in water post-mortem. Oh yeah. I mean, death isn't pretty on anybody anyway. Uh, he says the N-word a lot in this excerpt. So I'm just gonna say N for ends. That's not like offensive, but N-word is lengthy. Yeah. And I'm not saying it, so. He says, well, what else could we do? He was hopeless. I'm no bully. I never hurt none in my life. I like ends in their place. I know how to work them. But I just decided it was time to time. Few people got put on notice. As long as I live, I can do anything about it. Ends are going to stay in their place. Ends ain't going to vote where I live. If they did, they control the government. They ain't going to go to school with my kids. And when an end gets close to mentioning sex with a white woman, he's tired of living. I'm likely to kill him. Me and my folks fought for this country and we got some rights. I stood there in that shed and I listened to that end throw that poison at me. And I made up my mind. Chicago boy, I said, I'm tired of them sending your kind down here to stir up trouble. God damn you, I'm going to make an example of you. Just so everybody can know me and my where me and my folks stand. They sure do. J.W. Millam, Look Magazine, 1956. My heart already hurts. Makes you want to cry. I am. They so wrapped a 70-pound fan with barbed, barbed wire, wire around his around neck. his neck and threw his body in the room after shooting his face off. And that and was after beating him mercilessly. Beating him, yes. A 15-year-old boy. If you have children, I want you just for a minute to imagine someone doing that to your child. And good on Emmett's mom for being like, no, the world needs they get to, to see, see this. It. Yeah, they get to see it. I'm exhausted to my core. My soul is exhausted having listened to that story. And that is not even a tiny little fraction of having to live it. And like I said, and I'll say it again, that's just one story. And it happened all the time. And no one ever served time for it. Nope. And they admitted to it. If you're confused about white privilege, I want you to rewind and listen to this again. Just because things like this. And the one witness who I'm sure was one of his friends down there, died in 2013. Emmett would have been 80. With a ton of grandchildren around his bedside rather than thousands of people mourning his brutal murder. Oh, I hate when kids die. Like, you haven't even started living yet. And it's really hard for me to just switch to going to, let's put our plugs in. Hi, here's where you can follow us. Um, <laughs> hold on. Let's see if there's something else we can put in here. Ooh, yes, good idea. We're not gonna plug ourselves at the end of this episode. Um. Emmett Till has a Legacy Foundation, still active, and you can donate to it. The website is emmetttilllegacyfoundation.com. The 65th anniversary of his murder is this year. So instead of us, that's where you can go and do something about it. Good idea. Read about it. Don't forget it. And thanks for listening. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.